Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So it's a really weird experience being in Columbia, Missouri on Saturday before the game, you know, walking around and talking to a lot of Missouri fans, in some cases even Missouri students, they were all really nice and really gracious, but really gave themselves no chance in the game whatsoever. They were like, hey, while you're here, you should try this restaurant, you know, whatever. They like they were, you know, more kind of seeing themselves like hospitality type committee and not like rabid fans the way that you typically see in the SEC. And then lo and behold, you know, a couple of moments into the game, you know, they get a couple of turnovers, they get an early lead. And my gosh, if you're watching on TV, if you were actually in the stadium, you know, this is true everything changed so quickly and it's you know even for a place like missouri which is kind of i think of sort of a remote outpost when it comes to the sec it's just funny how true this can be that it just doesn't take much for one of these home crowds especially on a saturday night and that's why night games are always so valuable it doesn't take much especially on a saturday night for a home crowd to start believing in itself a little bit and i think i thought that missouri crowd really brought some juice into this game on saturday and lo and behold and i even put this out on twitter at one point you know, my entire mindset changed at some point in this game. You know, early first half, you know, Georgia's got the turnovers and they're just kind of scuffling around. And, you know, I'm sort of thinking in my mind, oh, here's another example of Georgia kind of playing down to the level of its opponent. Dogs were, of course, more than a four touchdown favorite in the game. Or here's the Georgia team once again, kind of dealing with a slow start, but sort of just keeping it kind of compartmentalized to that. And then at another moment, and for me, this kind of came early third quarter when coming into the locker room and Georgia was going to set the tone for the second half. You know, they chewed up a bunch of clock. They ran, what, a 16-play drive and had to settle for a field goal again in the red zone. And the Missouri kicker on the other side was sort of matching Georgia field goal for field goal there for a little bit. All of a sudden, I had to sort of consider the possibility, oh, my gosh, Georgia may actually really lose this game. That It kind of started feeling like South Carolina 2019 all over again. That was a home game. This is a road game. But one of those days in which maybe it's just not going to happen for Georgia. Maybe in some of the ways even Missouri was even defending Georgia sort of felt like what South Carolina was doing that particular day uh you know years in in the past that you just sort of had to come come to grips with the idea of my gosh maybe this is going to be the worst possible case scenario and Georgia's going to lose in unforeseeable fashion to a team missouri that just lost to auburn the previous week and then gotten blown out by kansas state a couple of weeks prior to that but you had to consider the possibility that might happen now georgia didn't they end up winning the game and we'll give credit to them for that and the resiliency they showed and some of the things that kirby smart talked about but a game like this brings out a lot of georgia haters and a lot of georgia haters whether it be folks that you know in your life that you kind of you know interact with in social media or just people sort of shouting to the void on twitter and things like that it's funny how every Georgia hater seemed to have the exact same take about this game on Saturday. I want to show you, if you're watching a video, just kind of a snapshot of this. Every single person seemed to be asking the question or seemed to be making the statement that Georgia got exposed. That was the word that got used. Georgia exposed? It's a little early, but Georgia might be getting exposed. I knew that Georgia was going to get exposed eventually. Ha, ha, ha. Y'all got exposed. Over and over again. I think I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine examples just on the screen that I found pretty easily and quickly. Some of those are even sent to me uh, for you know, people who interact with me because they don't like Georgia very much, of the idea that Georgia and what happened against Missouri on Saturday, that it got exposed. 
expose. And expose is one of those sort of great sort of hot takey words because what it kind of means is is that we're all learning something that the person using the word exposed has known for a while that the so-and-so team that's getting exposed was never very good and it's the kind of thing that sort of puts the person using that word kind of above everybody else if i knew georgia wasn't very good now y'all all know it because georgia got exposed well as it turns out kirby was actually asked that after the game on saturday about whether or not that georgia in struggling and being down for a large portion of this game if this was an example of uga being exposed and I didn't think Georgia played very well on Saturday. I'll, I'll be honest with you about that. But I actually thought Kirby gave a really good answer to this question about, you know, the nature of being exposed in a game like this. Let me let you hear Kirby on whether or not he thought Georgia was exposed on Saturday. Well, every game's my exposed to something. I mean, we got exposed on defense the week before, and we, we worked on things to help with that, and it helped us, right? So they did some really good things tonight that, sure, I don't know if exposed is the right word, but they certainly did some good things that, guess what? We got to have some answers for, and uh, we got to get answers for them fast. It starts with getting some wideouts healthy and uh, being able to run the ball. I think that's actually a really good answer from Kirby. That I, I just think that exposed doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word. The reason why it sometimes sort of feels like a bad word and kind of the you know the sort of sports talky world we might live in on social media or, or or like streaming video podcast stuff like this is because it's the kind of word that a lot of idiots use. But here's how you can spot an idiot when it comes to a word like exposed. If someone's using something that's happening in the present tense to either relitigate the past or to make some sort of wild claim about the future, well, that's an idiot and that's someone that can be easily ignored. In other words, there are some people who are going to take a game like this and say, well, see, I told you George was never good to begin with and the national championship was just a fluke. That's an idiot that you can easily ignore. And by the way, some of those calls are coming from inside the house. It may be Georgia fans themselves who are also saying that. But if someone's using something that's happening in the present to relitigate, to make a claim about something that happened in the past, well, clearly you know you can ignore that person. Here's something else. If someone's using what happened there on Saturday to make some sort of wild claim about what's going to happen in the future, well, I told you, you know, Georgia was not going to be any good. They're going to lose to Tennessee. They're going to lose twice. They're going to, you know, whatever. Look, these are the same people that told you that Georgia couldn't win the national championship last year. We see abundant evidence of their inability to make accurate predictions. So based on what happened in this game on Saturday, it can't be used to make any kind of claim about the future because the fact is these games just are not not that easy to predict. So that's the kind of stuff you can ignore using what happened on Saturday against Missouri to either reevaluate the past or make some sort of wild, bold claim about the future, that can that can be easily ignored. But if you want to have the conversation in the present of what happened for Georgia here this week, what it means for Georgia right now, I think that's totally fair. And I think the Kirby Smart's statement a moment ago kind of gives you, you know, some of that too. That that hey every game exposes something so i think the thing that we should ask if we want to kind of sort of figure out what's going on with georgia right now is if georgia was exposed or if there were things about georgia that are exposed what was it that was exposed what did we learn about georgia here in this particular moment and i think we learned some things that are unfortunately not all that pleasant all that you know not all that kind about georgia here right now there are massive struggles along the offensive line we're gonna get more into that here coming up in a moment uh, Stetson Bennett was not particularly accurate. That is certainly true. Now, I think he played better as the game went on, but there were some moments, especially early, when Stetson was just kind of misfiring a little bit. And the guys that Stetson's throwing to, 
they're not doing a very good job of creating separation. You know, there are just not playmakers emerging in this wide receiver room for Georgia here right now. Now, Dominic Blaylock had a couple nice moments, and, you know, it's not all negative, but it's also not glowingly positive either. That with A.D. Mitchell injured and not playing, Georgia pretty clearly is missing a spark from its wide receiver room right now that was abundantly on display there on Saturday. And for all the issues the offensive line has, when it comes to you know the the overall story of the Georgia rushing attack some of us have been sort of sneakily suspecting that things weren't quite right with that group a lot here this season and once again on Saturday you had more reason to think that now the overall numbers don't look bad and frankly the overall numbers of the Georgia rushing attack uh, haven't looked terrible all year necessarily but you've just been left to conclude that just something doesn't quite feel right and I think Saturday was another data point exposing that too. That yeah, this is not quite RBU style, you know, running play from from Georgia right now for for whatever reason. That those are things that are kind of exposed from this game on Georgia on Saturday. And to me, it leads to I believe three quick points of what I'd like to see from Georgia going forward here. That at a certain point, the worst phrase in the world is "it is what it is," but with certain things related to Georgia, it kind of is what it is. You know, you're not going to magically get better on your offensive line overnight. And guys that are not creating separation as wide receivers aren't going to magically start doing that. And, you know, other, you know, areas in which guys aren't necessarily, you know, dominating on an individual basis, that's not going to miraculously change just because you want it to. But that doesn't also mean that Georgia doesn't have some areas in which it has succeeded that it could lean more into uh, in the future here. So on the basis of what I saw on Saturday against Missouri, here are three things that I think that Georgia needs to do a whole lot more of. Y'all, they're just not throwing to Brock Bowers enough. And I don't know what this is about. You know, we've played the audio for you after the last, not Saturday's game, the two games prior to that. And when Kirby Smart was asked about Brock Bowers, he sort of pivoted away from Bowers and tried to talk about Darnell Washington as if he didn't kind of want to, you know, put the spotlight solely on Bowers. And look, I, I get you don't want to put one player above the rest of the team, but Brock Bowers is above the rest of the offense. He's the only game-breaking, game-changing player on this offense. It's been obviously true now for more than a year. And if you don't use him, you're holding him hostage because he's the only guy that, I mean, right now he's the only guy on this offense that has the look of a future first-round pick in the NFL draft. And if 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 you're not using him to his utmost potential, then I think from a play-calling standpoint, you're greatly failing. And Saturday was a day in which you really needed the yards, and you could have gotten more yards had you simply thrown the ball to Bowers more. When you're blowing teams out, you can throw whoever you want to. But when you're in a close game, when you're in a fight for your life, you actually could have made this an easier win, I believe, by giving the ball to Bowers more. And if you look at you know the, uh, like the inconsistency in terms of uh, how he's been used this season, you know, just two catches week one against Oregon. He's had five catches in each of the last, you know, three weeks, but I don't think you can afford to have your best player not be a big part of your offense in any game. Now it it didn't matter against Oregon because Georgia was dominating that game, but it's going to matter going forward because he's the only guy on this offense that is creating green grass, you know, you know, separation, obvious visual separation, between the guy that's covering him and when you got to do it against an even better opponent than Missouri if you're not throwing it to Brock Bowers you're just making a huge mistake you're just making a huge mistake and I'd say the same thing a little bit when it comes to throwing the ball to Kenny McIntosh because that's another thing with the offense that you don't necessarily have to have an amazing offensive line to be able to do because you're not going to just magically have five road graders along your offensive line 
but you don't necessarily need that to get the ball out quickly to Bowers and let him do something in the open field. Same thing with McIntosh there as well. Now, some of this may be related to the fact that McIntosh is just kind of injured and banged up, has what, what thigh contusion, I guess it's been called. Uh, did play on Saturday, but uh, maybe a little bit banged up right now. But when you look at uh, uh, you know McIntosh in uh, you know the game against Missouri on Saturday, just one catch. Also, just one catch for him against South Carolina there as well. But against Oregon week one, he had nine catches. Now, you may say, well, that's just because that's what the defense was giving you. But, y'all, here's the thing to understand. I know coaches love to say, hey, we're going to take what the defense gives us. But if all you ever do is take what the defense gives you, then all you're ever going to have is what the defense wants you to have. And I think that Georgia has to be a little bit more assertive in dictating the pace of the game in its own right. What can you do well, and how much of that are you able to do during a game? And right now, one of the things that Georgia might be able to do to mitigate against the fact that it's just not – going to line up and run the ball quite as well as it has in the past and it's not going to get a wide receiver right now off on a really big season at least not until A.D. Mitchell comes back then you've got to throw the ball to running backs more and McIntosh was the guy who was that target for you in the Oregon game to begin the season and you're gonna have to find more of that as time goes on and then for me the third thing is and this is another thing that was sort of weirdly absent from the game against Missouri but had Georgia done it more it might could have made the game a little bit easier for everything you want to say about Stetson Bennett and you know some inaccurate throws from him, especially in the first half of this game, the one thing that Bennett has proven to be a real weapon with and was not utilized at all on Saturday is with his legs. That you are only getting a portion of Stetson Bennett's value if you're not making him a very active part of this offense when it comes to his own running game that he's had a rushing touchdown in each of Georgia's first four games of this year and didn't have one on Saturday. Now, when you look at the overall rushing numbers for Bennett, they actually don't necessarily look that good because you've got to remember that in college football, sack yardage is compiled as you know quarterback running yardage. They don't do that in the NFL. They do do that when it comes to uh when it comes to uh, uh you know college football so some of the overall numbers for Bennett may not look as you know as good as they uh could and that's maybe a little bit less of an accurate picture overall but Bennett is a much more valuable threat to this offense in terms of his ability to run because the difference between a Bennett run and a running back run is is oftentimes running back runs are predictable you know when they're likely to occur but a quarterback run oftentimes comes at a more unpredictable moment because maybe it comes when a play breaks down or maybe you can really kind of throw that in there when the uh, when the defense is expecting something else but it can be a really efficient part of an offense and on Saturday Georgia just didn't do that enough so the overall bottom line for me is this what got exposed about Georgia on Saturday was not just that it played a game that was closer than it's supposed to be what got exposed for me is there were things that Georgia could have done on Saturday to still make this an easier win than it turned out to be. They could have thrown the ball to Bowers. If McIntosh was out there, they could have even thrown to him a little bit more. They could have gotten Bennett more involved with his legs. If you're dealing with issues with your offensive line, if you're dealing with issues with your wide receiver, if you're dealing with issues with your traditional passing game, and on Saturday Georgia kind of was, then be a little more creative about how you use the established playmakers you have. And a game that was close could have actually been a little bit of an easier win than it was on Saturday. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you join us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We also speak to you at 945 on dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. And however you are a part of our show, we just really appreciate you being here good days bad days something in between you can sort of decide for yourself what uh what saturday was 
against uh, Missouri. But either way, we're just happy to have you as a part of our discussion. A big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of George for making it all possible. You know, they can equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. As we head towards a time in which it's going to start being colder outside, you kind of have that heat cranked up on the inside of your house. We're heading towards, you know, late fall, winter, and some of that sort of cold weather time of the year. All the better opportunity for you to have those really efficient windows and doors and that expensive heat staying inside your house where it's supposed to be in that cold weather and all the things that go along with that cold weather staying on the outside where that's supposed to be there as well that is what Pella Window and Door of George is all about you've heard me talk about it you know that homeowners around the Atlanta area have recognized this as a brand leader in survey after survey for years and now you want to experience that for yourself and the best way to do that is to have one of those no pressure consultations with a Pella expert who can talk about the product and which you know choices for windows and doors right for you all the installation options that are available for you there as well and they can tell you about the great savings opportunities that are there for you too because between now and october 31st you can get 10 percent off your entire project or a reduced rate of 6.99 percent for 120 months so make sure you check that out from uh, our friends at pella window and door of georgia today stop by and see them in their experience center right there in duluth or reach out to them online at pellaofga.com slash dog nation that's PellaofGA.com slash Dog Nation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. We're going to talk to John Stinchcomb here in a moment, and one of the things we're going to talk to John about, him being a former All-American offensive lineman at Georgia, the current state of Georgia's offensive line, and what does not look to be a very stellar state based on how it performed against Missouri on Saturday. I want to keep that topic going as well as we go around the doghouse here today, uh, assisted by our friends at AAA. And when you look at you know why Georgia was not able to to run the football a little bit more, why Georgia was not able to truly establish itself throughout most of this game, late stages that sort of change but why Georgia wasn't really able to establish itself more on the ground than it did on Saturday. Listen, Kirby Smart, to his credit, did not holding back on saying exactly what he saw and what he thought was going on. He did it in typical sort of colorful Kirby Smart fashion. I have edited this. I probably didn't need to necessarily, but we try to lean in the direction of being pro-family around here. So this is uh, Kirby Smart, his assessment of what happened up front with his offensive line, trying to create some opportunities for the Georgia rushing attack. Smart not holding back his words, this from Saturday night. Getting your ass whipped up front. That's what the finger was. Like, when you put on pads and you got to strike another man and he's across from you and he weighs 300 and you weigh 300, somebody wins and somebody loses. So the finger is, we getting our butts whooped. Okay, now, scheme-wise... We can maybe help them out. We can do some different things. We can look and find some things. Gap plays helped us. You know, we ran some gap plays, and that really helped us. But when, you get to, when you're not running the ball well, you're usually getting whipped. So, listen, I think some of y'all around here were probably a little quicker on this topic than I was. Some of y'all had noticed this, I think, early on, and you've been telling me about it. They just sort of felt like this was not a dominant you know, Georgia offensive line. And I didn't necessarily disagree with you, but I don't think I'd been speaking about that as adamantly as some of y'all had been over the course of the last couple of weeks. I'll give you credit for that. And for a lot of Georgia fans who asked a lot of pointed questions about Stacey Serrells when he was hired as offensive line coach, this seemed like a little bit of a weird hire, not an obvious hire that a program like Georgia would make. Some dog fans didn't have great memories of Serrells when he was here as offensive line coach going back you know, uh, to previous era of the program. All of a sudden, that conversation from the offseason is back in the spotlight uh, again right now as well. Now, listen, I'm not going to like, you know, make any kind of evaluation of what Serrells is doing here right now. And I'm not even going to pretend to know exactly why this offensive line is, 
not necessarily performing better than it is because I don't think that it's necessarily performing all that well right now. But as Smart said, the real responsibility here is how do you coach around this? Like, how do you take what you have and still get the most out of what you got going for you right now? Because you're not going to miraculously change this. Guys who are not, you know, creating, you know, those big holes, guys who are not getting that big push, guys who are, as Kirby Smart says, getting, you know, their 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 backsides whipped right now aren't going to, I would assume, miraculously start being the one on the uh, other end of that whipping somebody else. That's just not likely to happen. But you also can't wave the white flag of surrender either, that you've just got to go with what you have and find a way to be as successful as you possibly can. And that's one of the reasons why this team was probably throwing a running back so much at the beginning of the season and one of the reasons why they probably need to do that more. It's one of the reasons why that you got to get the ball out to a guy quickly like Bowers and let him do something to make somebody miss, let him create the opportunities offensively for you that other people you know, just aren't necessarily able uh, to do quite as easily. And it's one of the reasons why you're going to have to lean on Stetson Bennett in the running game because it just kind of comes at more unpredictable times and it can be a really efficient part of your offense for rushing touchdowns in each of the first four games uh, but not getting one of those on Saturday. But Smart doesn't hold back. That's how I would say serious this is right now. It is clear and obvious that the Georgia offensive line did not win its battle against the Missouri defensive front there on Saturday. And figuring out some way to do better with that, figure out some way to kind of work around that, that is a paramount issue moving forward for a UGA. And that is Around the Doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And, of course, AAA, when I'm traveling like I was on Saturday, I was flying up to uh, Columbia. But, listen, that's still you're still driving from St. Louis over to, you know, over to uh, Columbia for the game, and you're obviously trying to get into and from the airport. There's still a lot of driving that goes with that, so I'm always glad to have that AAA card in my pocket, you know, roadside assistance if I need it, if something goes wrong. But speaking of the potential of things going wrong, that's why you also need great insurance there too. And AAA is a name you ought to know for great insurance. I'm talking about home insurance and auto insurance and all kinds of great incentives to go with that. For instance, when it comes to auto insurance, you can get a free no-obligation quote right now for AAA Auto Insurance to see if you qualify for the membership discount. It's a paperless discount, pay-in full discount, multiple car savings, and so much more. So many great uh, uh, you know, discounts and incentives coming your way when you get your auto insurance through AAA. So make sure you give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075 to find a branch near you and to really take advantage of the great incentives that come your way when you get your auto insurance, your home insurance, through our friends at AAA. All right, it's good to have you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia today. Uh, we're busy. Uh, Mike Griffith, as you may know, was in Auburn on Saturday for the Auburn LSU game, and he's still there now. Georgia's going to play Auburn, obviously, on Saturday, so we'll get an early look at that game and a look back on the Tigers with uh, Mike Griffith here coming up uh, before we're done. But also uh, on a number of issues from the game on Saturday and where Georgia needs to improve and you know what it says about UGA that they were able to kind of pull this win out. Let's cover all those bases right now. Great guy to have on a show like this today. Let's talk to John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll talk to John Stinchcomb here. Always great to have him, especially on days like this when you're going to try to dig deep and sort of figure out what went on. And, you know, John, you know, look, here's the big picture for me. 
that Georgia's still undefeated. And, you know, they're still obviously with every end-of-season goal still very much in front of them. We all understand that. They showed some resiliency late. They found a way to pull out the victory in a situation when maybe previous Georgia teams might not have or certainly other teams around college football might not have. We all get that there are still good moments to be had for Georgia here this season. The fact that they did find victory actually kind of keeps a lot of that kind of stuff even more alive. And yet, once you say all of that, there's obviously also a lot that was indicated from that game that clearly are areas in which Georgia needs vast, vast improvement. And that's kind of what I want to focus on with you here for a little bit, specifically along the offensive line. John, what's going on with this group right now, and how come they didn't have more success against the Missouri front than they did on Saturday night? Yeah, well, uh, I think Coach Smart says it pretty accurately. They got whipped. They got whipped up front. Uh, Missouri's defense got after them and won individual battles. As I went back and watched the film last night, uh, I, my first initial reaction was that our guards and interior uh, struggled early against Missouri, and that would be an inaccurate picture. They were not alone. Our tackles, who yeah. I think have been a strength, they had arguably one of their worst games uh, in an overall performance. And a lot of it was not being out of position, but just losing one-on-one battle, something that you don't see very, uh, not with regularity from Robert Jones and this, specifically McClendon, um, who is who has gone uh, you know, consistently been one of your better offensive linemen, um, and and just it was across the board. Uh, you watch the film and you you go, uh, Xavier Truss is a, a relatively younger player. Inexperience is probably a better term for that. That um, you know he's had his struggles throughout this season and, and continued to do that against Missouri. But you add into the fact. Cedric Van Van Granger right next to him, uh, I thought he had one of his worst games. Yeah. So you, you spread you spread it across the board, and it was at times it seemed uh, early on that they just uh, they, they didn't have the physicality to, to match what Missouri was bringing to them. And uh, it's a group that is not uh, they're not dominant. They're not what what Georgia has seen in past years. So. Uh, the details start to really matter, and they they don't have that right now. It's it's across the board. Guys are playing on their toes. They're leaning. Their technique's not great, and uh, they got they got whipped up front physically. So that's a bad combo. Uh, you know, the good news is there's there's plenty of season left, and they come out with a win, and they can get better. But at the end of the day, that's what they need to do is they need to get better. So along those lines, and I'm genuinely asking because I don't know, like how much can you improve? Because what you're talking about there is about sort of a level of physical dominance they weren't able to assert and the other side was able to. That doesn't, to me, seem like the kind of thing that's likely to change a lot during the season that, that you know, it, other positions, you know, maybe you, know, you can learn more about technique or you can learn more about scheme. You can learn more, and that gives you a chance to be better. But offensive line, to me, and you obviously know the position so much better, that's why I'm asking you because you played it. That, to me, seems like one of those things where it's about, you know, can you just bend your hips, bow your back, and, and, and move a guy? And if you're not doing that now, you know, what is the likelihood you'll be able to do that better later on this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's a million different ways these guys can. Improve. And, you know, I think it's different 
per per position per player. If I watch specifically Broderick Jones and uh, Warren McClendon, for for me, it was uh, I don't know if it was a lack of focus or engagement, but they're in position and they just got beat physically. So coming into that game, maybe they thought they were just better than Missouri. I don't know their mentality, but they should have performed better than they did. Uh, for the for the guards specifically, Xavier and Tate, uh, both of them have great opportunities to improve their technique, be in better position when they engage in blocks, and, and they've missed on that. Uh, Xavier uh, specifically um, at times gets out of position just because he, he tends to play on his toes a little bit. He's a waist bender, so it gets him out of shape. Um, and and he can fix those things. I mean, those are all all technique issues. Cedric von Frank Granger, same thing. Sometimes he gets top heavy, and uh, for him and Mim specifically, it looks like at times their eyes are bad. Where and when I say their eyes are bad, you know, in, in protection, not super clear as to where they are going and and how to get there. So when you get that kind of confusion. Um, it, it makes you play hesitant. It makes you play slow. So for each one of these guys across the board, um, there's absolutely ways that they can improve through this season um, and, and get better at their craft. And, and that's what you have to do because Saturday's performance isn't going away. Uh, that's something that each team will look at and say, okay. And, and as you go through a season, that's what you do. You've got more tape out there and you're evaluating how do you attack and what what can we do to uh, maximize on on these opportunities teams are, are providing we do the same thing um, that that other teams are trying to do against us so you go back and you know for coach Cyril's it's a great opportunity you know a lot has been said of, of you know is, is he a good hire he's coming in replacing two great offensive line coaches, our previous two. So the bar has been set very high, and um, it's a combination of veteran players and young players that uh, left a performance on Saturday that is not inspiring and has left great in room for improvement. So uh, let's see let's see how that plays out and, and the direction that it turns hopefully throughout this season yeah i want to get more specifically into that issue with you because i think what you're saying is really interesting and there are a lot of fans john you and i talked about this at the time that the hire of Cyril's just didn't make any sense to them because they felt like they knew what Cyril's was as a coach and it sort of felt like a different kind of hire than you would have expected kirby smart to make and honestly i don't know if it's too soon to make an evaluation about him in particular and how much of this is related to how you know these players are being coached up but the people who weren't happy with the hire of Sarrells to begin with would seem to feel like they've got some motivation now to sort of stand up and say, see, I told you so. How potentially accurate could that be? Is this one of those things, five games into a season, that it is fair to make an evaluation of the guy who's coaching that position group when the when the group seems to underperform the way they did on Saturday? Well, I, it's a great opportunity to figure out it's one, one direction or the other. It could be, uh, and I don't know this, I mean, I, I'm – I, I'm not going to come to the defense of Stacey Searles or the players. I, I'm just going to throw out an option here. It could be that uh, when, when he walks through the door, he inherits a group of players that feel like they've had it figured out and maybe haven't bought in to what he's bringing to the table. And 
after a game like Missouri where you're going, all right, fellas, you know, you, you thought you had it in hand because you've been told that you're good and, and you, you're following them a key. And let's, let's, uh, let's mention Jamari Salyer, who fell in the draft, and you're going, how is this possible, just became the starting left tackle for the Chargers and gets a game ball on Sunday. So yeah. uh, congrats to him. That was a big deal. I, I, I was excited to see it. Yeah. Uh, for you Falcons fans out there, I'm sure you're going, how did we miss out on that guy? But uh, <laughs> back to, back to the, the, the guys we do have in-house. Uh, for, for Coach Searles, it's now an opportunity. And hopefully uh, everyone's attention is is dialed in and they're aware that uh, that certainly wasn't championship-level football. An offensive line isn't the only place, right? I mean, uh, certainly an area that must improve if, if we're going to reach the potential that this team still has. And the ceiling is very high. But... You know, you drop a couple balls on third down. You don't create space. You, you finally get a good run, a, a more than 10-yard run, and you fumble the ball. So yeah. turnovers are huge. Drop passes are huge. Uh, not, not executing on assignments up front. All those are issues that, um, you know, it just takes more attention. It takes attention to detail. If you want a recipe for how a good team loses to an inferior team, Georgia almost executed on that very thing on, on Saturday. Uh, but I think it's also worth noting that a, a championship mentality says even when our backs are against the wall and things aren't good, we still have faith and trust in one another to overcome it. And it's not a 2019 versus South Carolina situation where, you know, it just looks like, ah, the, the odds are stacked against us today, boys, and we're not going to be able to pull it through. I mean, it was. It looked rough, stayed rough, and they continued to battle and had the the chops to come out with a W. So I think that's commendable as well. Let me uh, t- talk about something different here for a moment. You know, I think John, you've worked in sports media for a long time, and uh, obviously been a consumer of sports media your entire life. And I think you would say that the easiest thing for fans to do after a game is kind of get on the offensive play caller. That person is always sort of a lightning rod for criticism. And yet, since Todd Munkin's been here since the 2020 season, I don't recall really any game even after losses 2020 when Georgia was kind of losing pretty big or something like that I don't really recall Munkin ever really getting any criticism at all he's been pretty popular with the UGA fans kind of since the word go Saturday felt like a little bit of a different type of thing for me where I was left pretty confused as I said before you joined us you know why isn't Brock Bowers getting 10 12 touches per game when he's clearly by far and away this team's best offensive player you know why aren't they finding some way to kind of mitigate against the areas in which right now Georgia's just not stellar? Uh, you know, you can't you know, overnight just make guys start winning battles along the offensive line. You can't create separation with wide receivers who aren't necessarily creating that on, on their own. But it seems like there is more you could do to kind of accentuate the, the strengths and maybe uh, obscure the weaknesses. And it seemed like on Saturday, for maybe the first time in Munkin's career, that didn't really happen. What would you evaluate of the offensive footprint for Georgia overall after a game like this? Yeah, I, I saw consistently the, the variety of plays that we've come to be used to. I mean, I expect almost from Coach Munkin on Saturday, it was an execution issue. I mean, there's a, again, lad drop ball on a third down that, that hurts and uh, a couple overthrows by Stetson where those plays aren't, 
you know, it, it seemed like there was an opportunity to continue a series that didn't happen. And then up front, I mean, the, the execution of just uh, – it's not the plays that are called. You just have to execute out there. So, you know, a toss sweep where both our center and our tackle are out in space and uh, throw no hitters. I mean, they just whiff on, on defenders. And a running back finally gets in space and gets the ball punched out. So uh, that's not – to me, that's not the plays that are called because – the, the opportunity is there. You put a hat on a hat, and you, you execute, and you catch the balls that are thrown your way and, and put them on the money. And it's like, oh, those, these are great plays that are being called. But when you don't execute and you have a, a series of three and outs and, and stalled drives and you're going, hey, this is Missouri. We should be smoking them. Um, you start pointing fingers everywhere. And, and to me, it wasn't the variety of calls. Now, I listened to you earlier about Brock Bowers, and I, I think you can always make a case for you can't feed that guy enough because yeah. he truly is special. And, you know, I, I also recognize that there is a, a harness on that man's shoulder. So for a lot of the catches that he's making over his head, uh, that that harness is designed to limit your your range of mobility, to to limit the uh, exposure your shoulder has to be in in positions that are a little more susceptible to injury. And the fact that he doesn't slow down, and you know, I'm thinking back to that catch uh, against Kent State, where well extended over his head and, and still able to go reach that ball. Uh, I also think that's why they've done a number of. Uh, play designs and calls that gets him the ball just uh, with through handoffs and, and easy touches. But, yeah, I mean, I, with that said, you can't get him the ball enough. He affects every defense. I'm watching some of the run game on Saturday, and he goes and you know, it's a split flow action. He's going to block the backside of a run, and two linebackers are committed to him, which creates space on the front end just because of the amount of respect that he demands from a defense. And that's just a, a generic inside run zone play. Um, but I, every defense is keyed in on you can't let Brock Bowers beat you. So even when he doesn't get the ball, he's affecting the game, and, and that's what great players do. So let me finish with this. You know, Saturday, John, it's back home again. It's not a noon start. It's not an FCS opponent. It's Auburn. And Auburn's not very good, but it's still Deep South's oldest rivalry. How important of a moment is this for Georgia to kind of reboot, I guess, the emotional state this team finds itself in? And they're still a huge favorite. That's not going to change anytime soon. But when you're playing in a, in a team that you're familiar with, when you have a little bit more favorable start time, when you have the opportunity to create a different level of energy, how important do you think being back at home in kind of familiar circumstances is for Georgia on Saturday? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity to get healthy mentally more than anything and improve. And, and that's what this Georgia team needs. Uh, let's, let's not hit the panic button. Uh, we, we tried to execute on the only way – uh, for those games against Kent State and Missouri to be really interesting, and that's to shoot yourself in the foot constantly in that first half. So a couple early turnovers um, and, and pure, poor execution will give that kind of opportunity, and that's what Georgia has done two weeks in a row and you know, luckily found ways to, to overcome those ills that, that you've, you've created. Um, 
and this opportunity on Saturday is against an SEC opponent that you despise and isn't very good. So let's not start these games off with two quick turnovers and uh, give the uh, opposing offenses easy opportunities for big plays um, and, and play this style of football that uh, – led to one of the best performances of the season in week one against Oregon, where it was consistent and, and well executed. And you're going, man, this is a, uh, this Auburn opportunity is one for the momentum to shift and, and your confidence to continue to raise after you recognize, Hey, we got, we got to improve here. Um, and this is a, this is a great way to go about it and, and show folks that, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, obviously we can get better, but you don't have to hit the panic button yet. John, I think that's well said, and it's why we love having you on the show because uh, you bring such a strong perspective on all of this, both the good, the bad, and everything in between. We appreciate you sharing that with us here today, and we'll look forward to speaking to you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door George again very soon as well. Always enjoy it, BA. Go, dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Always fun with John Stinchcomb on Auburn Week. You think back to that great speech that he gave that really propelled this team halftime of 2002. So this is a special moment, uh, certainly when you look back on his legacy at uh, Georgia. And we think about that kind of stuff as Georgia gets ready to play a team like Auburn, that the the history of the rivalry still matters. No matter how what Auburn might be, no matter what Georgia might be, and no matter how much the present tense conversation around Georgia might be getting better from where it was a, a week ago, that Auburn game on Saturday provides an opportunity for that. We'll obviously talk more about that as we kind of roll into the week. Speaking of opportunities, you've also got an opportunity there as well to be a part of the great experience, which is the second-ever Dog Nation cruise coming up this April with our friends at Royal Caribbean. And obviously, uh, it's a great time to be on the high seas with Royal Caribbean. I'm looking forward to some great Royal Caribbean cruise vacations. After a game like Saturday, you sort of feel like you need uh, one of those vacations a little bit. Well, uh, eventually we're all going to get one. At least I'm going to get one. Hope you'll be able to get one with us there as well. We're hearing from so many folks who are getting signed up to be a part of this Dog Nation cruise and also so many folks who are enjoying themselves on one of those cruises going into uh that experience as i kind of call them practice cruises get ready for the real thing coming up in april uh, i've got a couple of those coming up in february there too and there's all different kinds of ships that you can be on when it comes to royal caribbean you might one of those uh ships that goes on like say one of the three or the four night sailings or the oasis uh, class ships those are the larger ships that kind of go on the seven night sailings and there's so many different things to do on board these ships which i think is so much fun you've got the broadway style shows you've got the entertainment options it's uh, you know endless seemingly an endless array of really cool shows really uh, cool entertainment something for the whole family really on all of that and you can experience that same thing when you take that dog nation cruise with us coming up in april there as well there's a great travel agent her name is jessica slater she's been handpicked for us by royal caribbean to help book your royal caribbean cruise vacations they believe that she'll take good care of you and that's why they've recommended her She's put a website together. It's called RoyalDogs.com. RoyalDogs.com. You can learn more about the second ever Dog Nation cruise coming up later on this spring. And you can reach out to Jessica directly there as well. Give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And make your plans to be a part of the uh, Dog Nation cruise uh, here right now. And also make your plans to be on any number of great Royal Caribbean cruise vacations here towards the end of 2022 or in early 2023. I think you'll be really glad you did that. We're getting Mike Griffith live from Auburn here coming up in a couple of minutes where the Tigers are continuing their preparations for Georgia, I guess, beginning 
those fresh off another loss on Saturday before that though let's kind of bounce around some of the SEC through stuff here cruising around the SEC with Royal Caribbean Alabama does beat Arkansas but it was costly and the fact that Bryce Young has sustained a shoulder injury uh, Nick Saban saying after the game on Saturday that he thinks he's going to kind of be okay but it's difficult to know uh, it's an AC joints what it's being called and it's difficult to know how long something like this might linger I do think that Alabama probably feels more confident in Jalen Milrow now, the backup, than they would have a year ago. So against Texas A&M on Saturday, we'll see how much Alabama drops off without Bryce Young at quarterback, and we'll kind of sort of look into the future to see when might Alabama get Young back again because – this is like a lot of these injuries you see you know kind of around this time where it's like okay he could rush his way back and be uh, a guy that helps Alabama but when you think about the value of that shoulder to his NFL future like how risky does Bryce Young want to be in all this and I'm not suggesting I know I'm saying it's a question that's got to be asked here of okay how quickly can you get back but how quickly do you want to get back when you're dealing with an injury like this I think that's a real consideration for Young right now and if while he's not playing you know what Alabama does get from Jalen Milrow I think is going to be a source of curiosity. As I said before, I think he's certainly more ready to play now than he would have been this time a year ago. We'll see what he looks like against Texas A&M on Saturday. I think the other thing that's kind of emerged after Saturday's game is Alabama's one true playmaker right now is Jameer Gibbs. This is not an Alabama wide receiver core the way we've come to expect it to be. It's just not. I don't believe that's ever going to change on this team this year. So for their game-breaking plays, especially with, with young and out there, they're just going to have to lean heavily on Gibbs. And that's one of those things I think you're going to see kind of emerge more uh, coming up this Saturday against Texas A&M is that Alabama just needs as much as they can get from the Georgia Tech running back transfer. Speaking of Georgia's opponent on Saturday, that is Auburn. They had a lead for a long time against LSU on Saturday. Could not sustain that. LSU ends up getting the win. I told you I was going to be skeptical to buy into LSU here in this spot. And I think I've uh, certainly been proven correct on that. I took the team total under for LSU here just simply because I didn't think they were capable of pulling away and making it look easy against Auburn. Ultimately, that's what happened there in that game. Now, I don't know that that helps Auburn's cause all that much, even though they, for the most part, played kind of okay in the game. It seems like Brian Harson's status is just as it's not even really up in the air. It's just as you know, seemingly almost done as it possibly can be. If Georgia were to beat Auburn on Saturday, I do believe that Harson will be fired immediately after the game. Uh, he's just on his way to having his Auburn career concluded. Uh, the game on Saturday, despite the fact that Auburn actually probably showed a little bit more fight than some people thought they would, doesn't do much here to save Harson. This is a coach in the final days of his tenure as Auburn with the Auburn job and a big Georgia win on Saturday could certainly seal his fate on the exact opposite end of the spectrum you start thinking about Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss who I gotta give credit here I think that Kiffin's doing a pretty good job at Ole Miss right now this is a hard-fought game against Kentucky on Saturday the Ole Miss defense is playing pretty well he had the great zinger at the end of the game kind of making fun of all the hype with Will Levis I'll never understand how that's been so out in front you know kind of you know, a couple turnovers on Saturday. He's had interceptions throughout his entire career. Not capable of winning a game like this on the road. And I'd say good for Kiffin for taking the jab uh, at how silly it is that that, that uh, Levis has been promoted as much as he has. Now, Kentucky did cover the spread here in this game on Saturday, so I guess gamblers will give him some credit for that. But this is just not the kind of game that Kentucky's capable of winning. And a team like Ole Miss 
is capable of standing up in its home stadium a little bit more. And I think they're kind of proving that right now they're a bit of a tough out here in the SEC West and probably better coming off a successful season a year ago, better right now than I probably expected them to be. I think you give Lane Kiffin some credit for that. Now, you'll also notice that last year when there was a huge, aggressive coaching carousel spinning around, there was never really a moment when Lane Kiffin's name was seriously mentioned for any other job. You kind of wonder, does that change here this year with more and more coaching jobs coming available? The Auburn jobs seem to come available. Does a guy like Kiffin emerge as a real candidate here in a way that he didn't last season? I think that's probably worth paying attention to because eventually he's obviously going to want to leave Ole Miss if he can. But last year he probably couldn't. Nobody really took him all that seriously as a candidate. Maybe that's starting to change a little bit right now because they clearly looked like an SEC team standing up at home against Kentucky. Uh, speaking of teams playing well at home, that's what Mississippi State did on Saturday and it's a real issue for AM right now it just is and I think it's fair to ask all kinds of questions about Jimbo Fisher it's just not happening right now it's just not and you know this is the kind of moment coming off you know, a couple of big wins now we took Mississippi State here on this show I think that was you know fairly easy to see they were the right side going into this game but nonetheless to not really be competitive against Mississippi State when you you know found a way to eke out a couple of wins you know against Arkansas last week against Miami before that and like leaving all of that squandered on the road to College Station fair to say whatever you want about Jimbo Fisher right now it's just not getting done just not happening there uh, for that bunch there in College Station and they've got Alabama on Saturday it could get even uglier there and you start to wonder you know how much is this starting to bruise the reputation of Jimbo with his own fans media has kind of had it out for Jimbo for a while and some of those folks look right now Texas A&M fans have actually had a little bit more patience and a little bit more of a longer leash on Jimbo than you might think but does that start to change right now? Some of those boosters who have allegedly spent so big on NIL, how much do they regret that? Buyer's remorse, maybe? At least worth considering. One more thing here. You saw the polls come out yesterday. Georgia obviously lost its number one ranking, probably deservingly so. Georgia didn't play like a number one team there in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, so you got to give it to somebody. So you give it back to Alabama here right now. And we'll see if this number one ranking becomes a little bit of a hot potato type thing. Alabama had it, gave it away. Georgia's had it, now it's given it away. I think we're still very unsettled at the top of college football, but some of the stuff with the ranking starts to make uh, a little more sense here as we move to kind of the halfway point of the regular season coming up after this upcoming Saturday. So we'll make that cruising around the SEC, uh, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. By the way, speaking of the Plains, that is where Georgia's opponent resides, and that's also where Mike Griffith joins us here too. I guess he's going to pay taxes in Auburn it seems like he's been there for a little while now got the sweater on today uh looking very professional uh but maybe not quite such a good look for Brian Harson right now uh Mike you're there Auburn coming into Athens on Saturday I think there's a very good chance and I'm just sort of basing this on my kind of read of the situation it's not reporting obviously but my read on the situation is there's a very good chance that Harson's last game as Auburn coach could come Saturday against Georgia do you get the sense that might be true as well well, you never know. They've got Ole Miss after that and then a bye week. And some people are pointing towards the bye week. Some people have said, well, if you were going to fire him, why wouldn't you have fired him after a bad you know, Missouri win or the loss to LSU? They were up 17-0. to So really hard to know what's going through Auburn's mind. You know, part of the issue here, Brandon, is if you fire him, who do you have on your staff that's the interim, that's interim capable? I mean, sometimes you want a guy gone, but you got to have somebody else ready to fill that role in an interim capacity. My, my bet would be Zach Etheridge would be the guy. But, again, we're not that far yet, and we're not sure when Coach Harson will be fired. We've seen a lot of other firings, certainly uh, 
the Paul Christ hire uh, firing up there at Wisconsin caught some people off guard three and two. I mean, there's a guy that was 13 and one and went in an orange bowl just a few years ago. So programs are becoming less patient. It, it seems that these buyouts are as not as much of an impediment impediment for, uh, or for firing coaches as maybe we once thought that they would be. Um, so real hard to tell what's going to happen here uh, on the planes as far as Coach Harson's immediate future. What do you think about Georgia on Saturday, Mike? What went wrong? And I, I mean, ultimately got the win against Missouri, of course, but uh, obviously it was not sure. a day to celebrate because Georgia didn't play particularly well there. What was your overall takeaway from what you saw? Well, I think Missouri schemed them up. I mean, you know, we saw what Georgia could do with an entire offseason to plan for a team. They looked incredibly efficient against Oregon, and and they looked very good against South Carolina as well, forty nine to three and forty eight to six. But there were struggles against Sanford. There were struggles against Kent State. Kirby Smart has told us all along this team is not last year's team. There aren't fifteen NFL draft picks, guys that are going to get picked in the upcoming draft on this team. The offensive line has not performed up to par. Stetson Bennett has been somewhat inconsistent. Uh, Stetson said he didn't play well on Saturday. Kirby said that he takes some of the responsibility. He puts some of that responsibility on Todd Munkin. Are they asking Stetson Bennett to do too much? Does he need to be more of a game manager rather than trying to do too much on the road in a hostile environment? It's not for everybody. There's only so many of those quarterbacks to go around. So I think it's a combination of poor offensive line play. I think that Stetson didn't have his best game. Uh, he didn't have his best receivers, I might add. A.D. Mitchell was not out there. Uh, Lad McConkey is still slowed by turf toe, not the same guy. So that combination of things, along with the defense giving up some really big plays, uncharacteristically getting beat on chunk plays, improper fits. Yes, Malachi Starks made a touchdown-saving tackle, but maybe he doesn't need to if that plays fit properly. The guy's not rumbling 40, 50 yards downfield. So these are the things that Kirby Smart knew could be exposed. Uh, if they ran into the wrong opponent in the wrong environment, and they ran into the wrong opponent in the wrong environment. Missouri was the better prepared team. Missouri was the hungrier team. And Missouri was the more physical game, more physical team until about uh, early in the fourth quarter when Kenny McIntosh uh, had the hit of the game and ran over that Missouri defender. I can still hear that hit echoing uh, in my mind. And then the next play goes 22 yards, and that drive proved absolutely pivotal. You know, we haven't talked a ton about the defensive side today, but we're going to do that obviously more throughout the week. And one of the things I'm left to conclude after Saturday's game is, you know, for the foreseeable future, they're not going to have Jalen Carter available to them. And I think you're left to really try to wonder, well, who are your big defensive playmakers right now? Now, I thought the defense, you know, gave Georgia a chance to win this game on Saturday. So it's not all a certainly a negative story for the Georgia defense, but you know, there are also not a lot of huge, impactful plays from this defense on Saturday either. And when fully healthy, you know, Carter's the guy most capable of providing those. But I'm not quite so sure how long to the future it's going to be before Carter is back fully healthy again. And that creates, I would say, an additional challenge to this Georgia defense. Maybe not against Auburn on Saturday because Auburn's not very good. But certainly in, in, in games beyond that, you know, the absence of Carter is going to be really felt, Mike. I don't know if we're going to see a completely healthy Jalen Carter again in Georgia. You know, he's been playing with a foot injury, an ankle injury. Now we're talking about an MCL. Do you continue to play this guy limited snaps and slow down the healing window? Or do you just pull him off the field, B.A., and, and try to get him back, you know, as, as close to 100% as possible for the Florida game? You know, as for Auburn not being very good, I'll just tell you, you know, from my seat, it's, there's 645 left in the first half on Saturday. They're beating LSU 17-0. to They've got 240 yards. LSU's got about 80. 
and Auburn has the ball at their own 35. That's looking pretty good against a, a pretty decent LSU team. So I guess I would caution you before and say they're not that good. I didn't think Missouri was that good either. I don't know how good you have to be to beat Georgia's offensive line or to cover a receiving core that's banged up right now. I think Auburn is dangerous. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia, but do I think that they could make this game ugly if Georgia and, and, and particularly if the passing game doesn't improve? They could. They could because the, the Georgia offense right now does not look as efficient as it did in the opener. It just doesn't. And I think some of that has to do with A.D. Mitchell being out and McConkie being slowed. But, but back to Auburn, I'm not ready to throw shovels of dirt on this team. Here's an amazing statistic for you uh, about Auburn, and it's, you know, for better or for worse. In Auburn's last five SEC losses, and this includes Alabama last year and Mississippi State last year, their last five SEC conference losses, they've led by double digits at some point in all those games. Now, that means they can't finish. It means other teams are adjusting. But it also means that Auburn's coming in with good enough game plans to stake their team out to a lead. This will only be the third career start for Robbie Ashford. It was only his second start against LSU. It was markedly better than he was against Missouri. He'll need to make a lot more improvement for them to have any shot against Georgia. But what I'm saying is, is, is Auburn is not uh, Vanderbilt talent. This, this is a program that has had success against all the SEC teams they played, even in the losses. They just haven't been able to sustain into the second half of these games. All right, Mike, we'll look forward to your coverage of Georgia's opponent there today, and obviously uh, look forward to having you back here on the show again very soon there as well. I guess seeing you in Athens on Saturday too. So uh, thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia today, and um, uh, be safe coming back. Thanks, B.A. All right, good stuff there from Mike Griffith. And, yeah, we kind of told you going to the, the Auburn LSU game is, to me, that was a referendum on LSU. And I told you going last week, you know, LSU was no team to be thinking they had a chance to go on the road and beat anybody easily right now because LSU is kind of a sloppy operation. And that was true against uh, Florida State on that first weekend of the season. It was proven true again, you know, whatsoever there as well. Uh, but Auburn's going to stack up, pile up losses. I mean, that's just – all there is to it they're one of the you know two or three worst teams in the entire entire league so but as mike said so is missouri and georgia didn't play very well against them on saturday so it's not necessarily a indication of how georgia's going to play just because it's against an overmatched opponent we've seen georgia keep overmatched opponents in the game longer thus far this season than it should and that's clearly one of the things you have to think about moving into saturday and we'll get more into the auburn game throughout the week is that we've now seen five games from georgia and in three of those games more often than otherwise than than <laughs> that they've actually played sort of you know less than great more often than they've uh, done the opposite thus far this year and obviously a chance to correct some of that on saturday against auburn let me also do this here for a moment i was going to do more of this but um uh but mike wanted to pop on from auburn so we wanted to give him a chance to do that um so tomorrow on the radio i'm going to be with our friends at 92.9 the game in atlanta uh they do a great job uh randy mcmichael is uh, one of the hosts there, and you know Randy from his time as a Georgia tight end. And I want to ask Randy about this tomorrow because you've heard me say a lot today, hey, Georgia got to get the ball to Brock Bowers more. I think that's a self-evident point. I don't think I have any responsibility to explain why that's true because Bowers has been Georgia's best offensive player now since he's been a part of the program. But in addition to that, one of the things I'm also hearing a lot of you saying there as well is, hey, Georgia's got to get the ball to Darnell Washington more there as well. And there is – certainly a lot of questions for me about that like why does it seem like the cap on washington's 
touches, his, 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 his targets, his catches, is somewhere in that sort of two to three neighborhood. Like, why couldn't Darnell Washington have the kind of like five catch day that, that Brock Bowers had on Saturday? And how much better would the Georgia offense be if you did get Washington more involved like that? I want to ask Randy that tomorrow. Now, normally when I'm the guest, I'm the one that's being asked the questions to. But I actually want to ask Randy about that when I'm on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta uh, tomorrow afternoon because I think Randy might have an interesting perspective on this. And whatever he says, I'm going to bring it back to you and kind of share what he does say on that particular topic because I mean after Saturday especially late in the game you know he goes up gets that football takes a huge shot and just kind of shakes it off I mean he's just such an imposing physical presence out there you know is this um a a guy that Georgia should be throwing it more to I sort of have my suspicions as to what maybe why that hasn't happened more I'm not sure that I'm correct on that so I want to save my opinion until after I hear from an expert I believe that Randy is so we'll share that with you on the show here this week. But as far as you know, the impact that um, Washington didn't make on Saturday's game, uh, and you know what he showed there late in the game, and how impressive that was, Kirby Smart certainly agreed with that as an idea going back Saturday night. Here's one more from Kirby before we're done today. Couldn't agree more. I mean, a lot of credit goes to Darnell and Stetson showing confidence in him to, to throw the ball in his area code, you know, and he goes and gets it. And, uh, you know, people don't give this guy enough credit, but Darnell was one of the leaders in that locker room that was, you know, said, I, w- I want to run the ball, get behind me, let me let me move people. You know, there's, there's a play out there where he absolutely, on Brock Bowers' screen for the, I thought it was a touchdown, but it got to like the one-foot line that Darnell just destroys a guy. You know, there's 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 no value you can put on that. So nobody questions that Darnell's a really good player. Nobody questions, as Kirby Smart says, that he is a valuable asset to this offense, that when he's out there you know, opening holes as a, as a blocker, when he's creating opportunities for the running game, that's a huge value to UGA. And yet there are a lot of fans who would say, in addition to that, we also want to see him get rewarded with big catches, with opportunities to be a big part of the offense. And when he makes catches, you know, things seem to be going really well for Georgia. And as I told you before, I think statistically he's actually having, you know, a pretty good year. I think he has a chance to have an even better year, but he's had a, you know, pretty good year thus far. But but like why isn't it more than it already is when seemingly when he catches the football, good things happen for Georgia. As I said, I'm gonna ask a, a guy who knows more about this than I do tomorrow and we'll come back and at some point in time this week kind of share what uh, a former Georgia tight end uh, has to say about all of that. Now, this has also been kind of one of those days in which probably more negative than positive ultimately we're still really happy about the state of georgia football i mean georgia is still undefeated still reigning national champs and still as you've been hearing us say for a while go for two and 22 all of that is still very much a strong possibility for georgia and this is simply just one of the steps in the direction for all of that here this year so don't lose sight of that and don't you know i guess you know forget about the fact that, that can still be really really true for georgia and maybe as a way of kind of making it feel better after a day in which you've had to kind of chop up some things that are not great for the dogs. Let's see if we can end the day on kind of a happy, good note, because a lot of Georgia fans who, uh, you know, are watching this team each and every Saturday are also Braves fans there as well. And while it was kind of only an okay day for the dogs this weekend, it was an unbelievable weekend for the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves got the sweep against the New York Mets. Now, a lot of you know, and this actually kind of ties back into the Georgia-Missouri game, a lot of you know that 
very popular song uh, for the Mets, their closer uses. It's that t- that Timmy Trumpet song, the uh, narco song. Uh, and like this is also the same song that uh, Missouri was uh, playing on third down over and over again on Saturday. So there's a little bit of a tie back in on this. Well, I saw this this morning. It's coming. It comes from a Twitter account called Fake Mark Bowman. Mark's a, a, a guy that covers the Braves. This is not Mark Bowman. This is somebody doing one of those sort of you know, fake uh, alternate ego type uh, uh, accounts. But it was basically taking, I, I guess Timmy Trumpets showed up to play the song at uh, City Field. But instead of that song, it was a, an entirely different sort of trumpet song to uh, honor the New York Mets after the weekend. So what do you say, especially since we all heard this over and over again this weekend with uh, Missouri on third down on Saturday night, how about this ode to the New York Mets? If you're on video, this is going to make more sense. If you're listening, this is taking place at City Field, and it's supposed to be the Narco song, but that's not that. This is our golden shoe for today. That's probably good. I think you kind of get where all this is going. I think that's really funny. I fake Mark Bowman did this. I thought this was hilarious. Uh, really funny as a way to uh, say goodbye to the New York Mets. At one point in time, had, what, about an 80% chance of winning the division, but after getting swept by the Braves, have now just a 2% chance of winning the division. The Braves still got some work to do. they got to win one more game in Miami here this week. They'll try to do that tonight. Uh, but so fun to watch. Those miserable Mets left to be miserable here once again. And for me, it could not happen to a uh, better bunch. Then it's just perfect, right? We hate the uh, lousy stinging Gators. They're orange and blue. We hate the uh, New York Mets, who just so happen to wear that same orange and blue color scheme. Must be something about that. Must be something about that. So we'll make that uh, from fake Mark Bowman, our golden shoe for here today. And by the way, speaking of those lousy stinking Gators... Don't forget, we got the Lousy Stinking Gators t-shirt here right now. I showed this to you uh, a little bit last week. I'll remind you again, uh, as we get ready for the cocktail party coming up in just a few days, a couple of weeks away here, you can show where your heart lies. We always believe that a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. One of the best ways to show that is with the Lousy Stinking Gators t-shirt. You can get this at the Dog Nation store. Uh, Really good stuff. Go to the top of the page of dognation.com, click the link, and you can get in there and get one of those right now. And remind folks that the uh, lousy stinking gators are truly lousy and stinking, and that never changes. Our Eddie the Blind Squirrel t-shirt is in there as well. All of that right there when you click the link at the top of the page of dognation.com inside the Dog Nation store. We'll also remind you, speaking of the lousy stinking gators, much like the New York Mets, long title drive, about 5,016 days. Now, the Mets title drive's even longer. That's 1986. But for Florida, it's getting on up there, too, 5,016 days. And bad news coming from them 26 days from now as well when Georgia beats them again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. Still plenty to feel good about if you're a dog fan, especially when you can close the show by making fun of those lousy, stinking Gators. We'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window, and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here either on Twitter to me, at DogNationDaily, or in the comment section, at DogNation.com. I'll also let you know we're recording this just after noon on Monday. Kirby giving an update uh, a moment ago. We'll talk more about this during the regular show tomorrow. But injury to A.D. Mitchell. Kirby hopeful that he can play on Saturday, saying he's farther along now than he was this time last week, and acknowledging the fact that Jalen Carter is going to miss a couple of weeks um, because of the uh, 
you know, the situation there with his leg. So uh, a couple of interesting injury notes there on Georgia, and obviously a pretty big challenge to think about, you know, being out without Carter for a little while here. I also wanted to read this tweet from Brian Garrett, who was talking about the Georgia running game and said, hey, B.A., so it seems like some people are worried about UGA's running game. So I compared 2022 rushing numbers to 2021. He says 2021 might not have been the greatest year for the Georgia rushing game, but it was good enough for a national championship. He says, here's what I found. Running plays per game in 2021, 36.3, while just 33.8 right now for 2022, so slightly less this season. Rushing yards per game, 190.6 last year compared to 178.6 here this year. Yards per play, 5.2 to 5.3 right now. Touchdowns per game on the ground, 1.9 last year to 3.0 so far this year. He says, so it seems like UGA is just running less, but they are actually running more efficiently and effectively, at least on paper. Probably not what people are talking about today, but it's always good to bring up bright spots, which there are a lot of with this team. Hashtag go dogs. And I understand where Brian's coming from on that, and I think that some of you probably feel the same way. And I think I've kind of touched on this here a little bit. Like the, the overall rushing numbers for Georgia actually don't look that terrible. And, you know, Saturday even, there were, you know, some, you know, the actual, you know, yards per carry average for each of the individual running backs actually ends up looking good. But there's still something that sort of seems to exist with me that says, you know, things don't quite seem great when it comes to Georgia's rushing attack right now, because. You may remember this, that as you know, Brian says accurately, hey, Georgia may not have, have had the best rushing attack last season, but it was good enough for a national championship. That's all true. But one of the things we said during the offseason was that the next step for Georgia as an offense is to pair some of the success they had with the passing game last year with a running game more reminiscent of what maybe Georgia had in the early days of Kirby Smart, like say 2017, 2018, maybe not quite as good as it was back then, but even a step back in that direction. Georgia actually hasn't finished higher than fifth in the SEC in rushing in either of the last three years, and they're not on pace to do that this year either, I don't believe. So while you are comparing to a national championship team, this was one of the areas a year ago in which I thought that Georgia was probably good, not great. And right now I would say that good sort of feels like the ceiling on that too and I don't really know where you can point the finger to blame maybe it is you know strictly with the offensive line not opening enough holes or maybe you know opportunities to make guys miss maybe the running backs aren't quite doing enough of that either but they're going to have to find a little more of that at some point this is just not going to be the best passing team in America it's just not I don't believe it ever had that kind of ceiling it's a better passing attack than it's probably ever been under Kirby Smart uh, and that's obviously a big reason why the team's been so successful thus far this season. But it's always been the, the formula of the offense to have some of that and some of the traditional rushing attack too. And right now, I don't believe that Georgia has enough traditional rushing attack. They're going to have to find a way to get a little bit more of that at some point in time. But as Brian points out, the numbers aren't all bad either. So interesting stuff as a part of our R.S. Andrews cool down today. Of course, you can find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised, the prices promised. You can trust them on that today. And, of course, we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.